it is time to tune up the band and oh woo! We're getting there! For it is another episode of The Speech in my podcast. I am Sam, alongside Dan and Reardon, as we continue our journey for the wacky world of professional wrestling. <laughs> um, I-, I couldn't think of anything else, chaps. How are you? That's <laughs> uh, okay. I, um... I, I'm hungover, you guys. Like it's, you it's, can't be bothered it's been, to mock me. Yep, yep, yep. I can't be bothered to even mock you. It's like, good God. <laughs> Thanks. Good God. Thank you, Rin, and I appreciate it. Apart from being hungover, it's, everyone in good apart spirits? Everyone the, doing well? Yeah, no, apart from that, I'm all good. I'm ready to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm doing okay. No, oh, Had enough. a few... Had a few moments here and there we won't talk about, but <laughs> it's been a very relaxing week. I actually had a chance to actually sit down, rest, and not think about anything. And I uh, I woke up on the last day of just of this little thing, and I turned to my girlfriend and I said I had a really good night's sleep, but suddenly I still feel really tired. She turned to me and said, "Yeah, that's just being relaxed." And I went, "Oh, this is what this feels like." <laughs> Literally, people have told me that, like, I cannot relax. Like, actually, to just a, a little uh, a peek behind the curtain, dear listener, um, we are we have rescheduled um, today's like um, today's re- filming, and I was running late, and I knew I was going to be running late, and my friends literally took my phone away from me, not to tell you guys. How dare! Because they were like, yeah, they were literally like, you are not going to work. That's how this goes. This is a work. Well, it's not work. I mean, in the in the conventional sense, <laughs> <laughs> but still. Yes. Oh. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, are we get are we are we getting shoot on? <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> well, listen here, son. I'm literally, I'm, I'm literally crying right now. Oh I'm God. sorry. I apologize. I will take my licks. <laughs> I'll take my licks for that biker as well. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> fucking sure, mate. Go go enjoy the rest of your day. Be as loud as you fucking want. <laughs> shall, shall I carry on? Yeah, go ahead. As I continue. Anyway, we give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and for ever-pending other platforms. You took my joke. You took my joke. I had it ready to go, and you just you just snatched it out of my hands. So we, great. So in in the first couple of minutes, we've had someone shoot on someone, and someone's been doing gimmick stealing. Yeah, this this it's all coming apart. We're forever pending, and we always will be. Especially when I murder Sam for for taking my bit. You took my bit. That's my line. Everyone Just... pulling spots now. This is this is insane. Basically, yep. now we're gonna now we're gonna spend the next five minutes recreating that that moment in TNA where it's just me and Rita going. That's my line. That's my line. Yeah, but the scary part about that is that implies that what in either case, one of you two is one of either Ric Flair or Jay Lethal, who are both people I'd rather not be. Oh, that's very... <laughs> oh, fuck, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> anyway, before we get on to my little retrospective all about the Four Horsemen, it is time to visit Dan for this week's Wrestling News. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun
Wrestling news. I made sure to stay silent so I didn't steal your jingle as well, Reardon. Yeah, no, no, no more, no more spot calling. Okay. <laughs> duck right. two, Southern Duck two, Hard Lesnar. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> anyway, um, where do we want to start with? Where do we want to start with wrestling news? Do we want to talk about CM Punk? Do we want to talk about the whole weird Discovery HBO merger? I say start with Punk, then come to the Okay, let's start, let's start with CM Punk, because apparently... Okay, alright. Apparently CM Punk, in his promo on Dynamite, <clears throat> just decided to shoot and apparently has heat with um, Hangman. It came very out of left field, may I add, this whole thing at the start and... of Hangman. I mean, basically, the thing, as I understand it, was that, like, I think mean, it was that, like, Punk, was it that he didn't want to drop the, he didn't want, he didn't want to take the loss against him or whatever? Something like that. And it all stemmed from Hangman yeah, alluding hang, hang, to something during a promo. He alluded hang, to hang, uh, uh, What I heard, what I heard was that Hangman referenced Colt Cabana on in a promo in the yeah and then that like sent punk off yeah and apparently he was really angry about stuff i really don't know what the extent of this situation is just because like i've well mostly because wrestling news reporting is like not great yeah but this especially because and, like so many people are just like throwing in just like opinion and stuff and mixing it in with stuff and they have like no idea what's actually happening i i will confirm i can read <laughs> but um some people don't make it uh easy for me and the way this news cycle has gone has just been like bam 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 everyone's got something to say about it yeah it's it's strange but, to say the least <laughs> i mean my whole my i guess my general thing is they should have. They should have a clear agreement beforehand about what is and isn't acceptable. Mm-hmm. Like that's a backbone of wrestling, anyway. Yes. And I don't see any reason why anyone should be saying something that hasn't been like cleared mm-hmm. in the first place. This is on Hangman's behalf. Yeah. Like I don't know why he would reference that in a promo if. Un- unless for whatever reason that like it was explicitly known not to be said, and he just decided to say it. Mm-hmm. Mm. But in 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 the other end of stuff, you know, when we when we look at when we look at punk in this situation now, mm. is that the right res- Is that really the right response? No, I don't. I don't think so. No, no, I don't. I don't think it's the right response. It's definitely not the right response to someone that you want to be looked at as like a veteran. And considering and know, that a lot know, of people, I know he has his. I know he has his problems with Cabana. Yes, as we all do. I mean, the that joke made funny. was that, oh, look what Punk came in and he immediately just demoted Cabana to Ring of Honor. Right, and I like. I know he has his problems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But like in 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 this case, it's looking more like the inevitable cycle of wrestling has repeated, and once again, CM Punk has become the very thing that he once swore to destroy. 
Yeah, and especially this is coming from a, a place where, uh, uh, if you are to believe what is being told, so please take that with a massive mountain of salt uh, about everything that's going on here. We don't know whether this really is supposed to be something between Tony and Punk to stir interest up. Um, but I'm willing, the one thing I am definitely willing to believe is that uh, a lot of people are coming to the, to the defense of Hangman on this one. Because... Hangman is supposedly one of the loveliest people you'll have backstage and one of the most, one of the, a person that is genuinely seen as a very popular member of the talent roster. So a lot of people apparently stuck up for Hangman, quite a quite considerable amount. I mean, like, just in in general, though, like, as a, as a, as a thing, you know, Punk has come in, is obviously on, you know, big money. Mm probably has come with certain expectations and I guess if he feels like those aren't being met, then he feels like those aren't being met. And apparently there are reports saying that he was said that he was coming close to walking out of the company, although I don't know how accurate those are. Yeah. <laughs> but also like as a, as a separate aside to this, because like I keep up with lots of stuff through highlights have been over this week just because if I've had to have been at home for a lot of time. Hmm. AEW put up a video on their official YouTube account of the shoot. Yeah. Now, I'm not an expert, but I feel like that's not the kind of thing that you would do. Obviously, if you realize yeah. it's getting you traction, that's maybe a separate thing. But like, <laughs> I just don't feel like it's a very thing that you would do where so you just let someone just do unprompted behavior and be like, oh, we'll stick that on our YouTube channel. <laughs> because my my general my general thought from that point was then I'm guessing this is probably going to lead to some kind of angle where Punk wins and unifies, then MJF comes back. Yeah, I mean, right? It will be mean, face face MJF like defeating the CM Punk that like betrayed him, right? Like crubs, that seems I mean, like an angle. Now you mentioned that. I mean, the MJF thing's a whole different can of worms in of itself. I mean, look, that, that's a whole that's a whole separate thing. But I'm just working on the operative basis of he's literally said nothing. Yeah, as in he has not interacted with people he normally interacts with and is unwilling to say anything. Mm. And I feel like that kind of response, where like people don't even know just generally what he's doing feels like a decision. Yeah. yeah. Strange. You know what this I'm not a behavioral fucking psychologist, right? And you know what this this is this is this is a shame because it takes away from a genuinely amazing dynamite where we had in on it my honest opinion one of dynamite's best TV matches of the year in Danielson versus Garcia. Correct. And it it overshadowed Kenny Omega's return to the ring. Um which was, I'm really glad to see Kenny back. Now, I mean, out, out of all of this, let me just say, I because I get this final, I get this moment to say so, to say, I told you so. <laughs> when I when I said on live stream that the King of Truth, that this tournament is just going to be Chikara moment. Yeah. And then yeah. literally just every wrestler who was at one point in Chikara just started doing Chikara spots. I was correct. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, God, it absolutely freaking was. Like, was <laughs> I was exactly right. And I want that on the record. <laughs> it also, I was going to say, it's great to see Kenny back in that regard as well. Um, it's apparently he is not 
100%. Um, hence why no, he, didn't, know, he wasn't physically in this match for a very long time. I know I know what they're going for. They're going to go for the whole, like, each round he progresses, another piece of armor comes off. Yeah. My I, know that's anyway. a, I know that's an arc in an anime somewhere, but I can't remember what one. <laughs> if I mean for me, but it's, it's like each round he goes yeah. through, he's gonna take, he's gonna have an, he's gonna have one less piece of protective equipment, and then they'll get to the final, and then he'll like take off like the last piece of bandages, and then like have the heroic moment or whatever. <laughs> so basically, Super Saiyan free Goku. Yeah, like pretty much. <laughs> so we're basically he finally returns Kenny. like a hundred percent power. I was gonna say we're seeing Kenny in the Cell Saga basically now. Kind of. <laughs> um, no, it's good to see Kenny back. Honestly, it is. Um, I, I'm just happy that he's he, he's he's he seems to be uh, happy because there was a time if you've seen a lot of the live streams, especially during uh, uh, Evo or Winner Stays On uh, when he was with Logan Sama, he genuinely looked really depressed. Like he was really kind of upset that he just couldn't do what he really wants to do, which is wrestle for crying out loud. So to see him back, well, I was, was going to awesome. say if, if you if if you've been working on if you've been working on his schedule, yeah, for that period of time and that intensity, like. All I'll say is this: He does not need to be that intense ever again. He's he's made his he's made his life's work. He can now. I am happy to see Kenny Omega make do his money work now. If you ask mm-hmm. me. <laughs> so that means, like Tyson, seriously, you do not need to go as hard as you used to. You don't have to. You've proved your points. Yeah, you can just like <laughs> you can just sit on the bag for now. Like yeah. just. <laughs> Just don't, just don't worry about it. <laughs> Same goes for you, Kota. If you do come over to AEW once, oh, the hell knows what's happening in that situation. <laughs> trying to get information out of New Japan right now. I was like trying to get blood from a stone. Talking about sh- uh, like really complex situations, like really? taking uh, blood out of a stone. What about this bloody Discovery HBO merch? <laughs> oh I mean, my god! I mean, basically, all I can figure out of it is that both companies have just decided you we just gotta throw the whole thing away. Like we hear the term "shooting yourself in the foot." They pulled oh. out like they they pulled out like a whole Timberwolf sniper to shoot themselves in the foot. <laughs> They're shooting like three three eight Magnum through their foot. Like I, I I have been nothing but enraged about this about the um about what's going on in Warner Brothers and HBO for the past like week. I've been like, so angry. In in I I just want to know what was behind the decision where they were like. HBO Max, nah. Trust me, don't need it. <laughs> it's just, oh my god! Like, oh my I, god! I genuinely cannot understand in what position you come through, and then you're like, nah, don't worry about it. Right here's what's gonna replace it: <laughs> Discovery Plus. <laughs> I mean, like, there are so many angles of which it is utterly infuriating it's it's one of the most like monstrous corporate corporate decisions i have seen in a hot Cause minute because didn't, didn't they say that like one of the intentions was they were going to move away from like fictional content <laughs> no, it's yeah. literally this guy 
David Sazlaff. <laughs> the, the this piece of shit. Yep. This guy, he is the honey boo boo guy, basically. Yeah. He's the guy who he's the guy who did that. And all of this is just this huge cost cutting measure for like tax write offs and all other bits of nonsense. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of the absolute decimation that has gone to the animation side of things is it's disgusting. It's horrific. It's, it's it is disgusting. Like they've like wiped out. Like so much stuff is just gone. I think it's like I think it's at this number current number it is thirty six cartoons that have been absolutely axed, not preserved or archived. They have basically just been thrown into the ether, never to yeah. be seen. We are again. in a whole new generation of lost media, like people yeah. predicted with the death of streaming services. Yep. It's, it like is... what, it's like what I said to Sam before we started. They just nixed the entirety of Batgirl before like before distribution. <laughs> like they had a fully <sighs> a fully complete product. That was literally ready to be distributed, had like advertising and marketing material out and everything, and they just cut it. It is. Sesame Street has been decimated. Sesame Street. Yep. It's. Remember what people were worried about because Sesame Street was was publicly owned and then they got bought and then this happened? It's. Mm-hmm. It's everything that. It's everything that I have feared. About all of this, and as a and as like as a creative myself, it's like my absolute worst nightmare. Yeah, it's my absolute like worst possible nightmare, and I and I just want to say a hearty, hearty fuck you to David Zaslav, you piece of shit. Oh my. Talk we about need to move on. I will just our, I will just go off, our, man. What's our big lesson from this? This is why me and Reason have always been uh, proponents of physical media, because as soon as it goes to a streaming service, this is all part of corporations' big thing of you don't own a damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. The big this lesson is what from happens. this is fuck corporations. <laughs> hey, do you ever... Did Just... you, I was going to say, do you know... Have you ever seen Rollerball, the original? Basically, no, I never we're did. Get, we're basically, we're getting to that point where corporations own everything. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly we're going to have James Kahn participate in a roller skating blood sport. <laughs> God rest Trust you. Trust me, you'll be coming soon you. enough at this rate. Yeah. It's nuts, and I hate it, and it's just completely and utterly just depressing is what it is. Uh, as as you know, what this is funny that this like, Warner is now taken as is in their history and very recent history since the turn of the century, taking part in two very shitty mergers <laughs> that could spell the end of two different wrestling. Co- I'm just kidding. <laughs> could it be though? You never know with AEW. Could, I mean, the way it's going right now, it could spend it could sp- spell the end of the companies themselves. Period. Yeah. fucking way that they're going um i'm trying to think about what else has happened in in <laughs> wrestling the only other things I, I can remember are that we're getting volta versus sheamus 
at Cl- which is Clash. Clash at the Castle. Grand. I mean, we can say this now that NXT UK is now an indefinite oh, hiatus. Oh, yeah, we can what they talk call about that. that. Yeah. Don't Based- worry. We, it, NXT UK is an indefinite hiatus because the plan for NXT Europe has been announced. Uh, with that comes the purging of most, if not all, of the roster. All I'm saying right well, now I know, is, I right? know, I think it's, I think it's 15 people have been removed yeah. from the roster. Um, I mean, the out of them, I mean, the, probably the biggest names were Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster. Which, to be fair, Flash Morgan Webster we already knew about in the first place. Yeah, I mean, how I, the- I was still contracted and then was like, I still might turn up to progress though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my one is like that. Uh, that one blows my mind. And Millie McKenzie as well is another one where it's like well, I was, was going to really say Millie, Millie McKenzie was WWE being like, we have signed like the biggest free agent, women's free agent in the Europe european scene and then we're like we're gonna get straight in get her running a program with satamura it's gonna be great and then they'll just like consider the following no yeah and so andrews andrews and webster they'll be fine again i'm sure they'll probably be propping up at um progress soon enough to take the tag titles off of sunshine machine <laughs> see now uh, andrews the one is the one that upsets me the most because it's like i we all know how like if, you, if you're a fan of the uk scene and or if you've ever been in, in or interacted with mark andrews you know how in, how much of an incredibly nice person he is and how passionate and talented he is inside and outside of the ring so that one really upset me the most is because and I, then out out of all of this, I find this hilarious that they announced the NXT UK initiative, and then the two people that they signed to start their European move in uh, Amal, who they signed from the French scene, who yep. was WWE's first French superstar, yep. who they signed, I believe, twenty twenty one, and Toman, who they signed from WXW, yep, to explicitly make a push towards the German market, and they have released both of them. <laughs> This is, I mean, that NXT Europe is going to be great, isn't it? But I, the thing is, though, right, is that as we said about NXT UK and how it's like contributed to damaging the the UK scene. Oh, it absolutely succeeded. <laughs> well, well, like we said, right? Like one of the key one of the key points was we need to destroy World of Sport, which is I don't know why that was ever a major contender to you. <laughs> but you know that's that's a, that's a whole thing in itself because obviously, like World of Sport took people that they had earmarked for the the first launch of NXT UK and then they had to they had to delay it by a year because of the world of sport revival. Yeah. Yada 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 that's all other stuff. But they were like, "Hmm, we've done some damage here. Let's do some more, but on an even bigger scale." <laughs> but the thing is though is I think actually there might be some genuine pushback. Yeah. Because I know as well, I've been hearing from I've been hearing from people in the UK scene where they're kind of wary that they might be like people who've been in NXT UK are going to obviously have been released. They're going to be wanting more money, yeah, for their appearances coming back to it. And then like, but also I've heard from some promoters that like they might even consider just not booking them because they've been branded like traitors. (laughs) It's a whole thing. It is a whole thing. Absolutely. I mean, here's the thing. It's been building itself back up ever since, you know, what happened happened in 2020. And we should never ignore what happened. 
and the British scene, I think, is in a is in a much. If you ask me, in terms of the dregs of society that surrounded the place, it is in a it is in a much better place. There are still a couple of people that kind of need to fuck off out of the British scene, but it's getting there. Yeah, it's in a much. I mean, in terms of talent, I find that there are a lot better, more talented people in this current crop of the British scene than there were back in that day. It's kind of it's kind of like what. Um... What I've said to other people when I was talking about this, which is I I understand that there's not like the same level of star power mm-hmm. to the UK scene right now, because most of the people who were noted as stars have turned out to be I will say wrong'uns. Awful people. <laughs> uh and like there isn't that same level of star power. But then I would argue that just kind of the general quality the general skill floor has increased. Yeah. <laughs> and like, it's kind of forced people to be more innovative. And like I said, there's plenty of people from the UK scene going over to the US for independent appearances. All I'll say is this in current, in regard to this current crop of people, Joe Lando has more talent in his tiny finger than a certain wrestler who has a similar high flying style has. Like, but like, this is the thing, though, right? Like, there's people going over to the there's people going over to the US. There's a bunch of um, UK talent again picked up to do excursions in Noah. Yeah. Um. There's a bunch of talent that are getting opportunities to go to like so many um, other places, and it's like I think that we're we're really reaching a good point. It's just about whether or not. Honestly, it's about whether or not the promotions actually keep up their end of the bargaining at this going rate. Exactly. Just, be- just because the skill f- the skill floor has increased, the skill ceiling's even higher. But a lot of promotions aren't like committed to like the long run. Mm-hmm. And so, like, um. I've seen some people say about like progress recently is that there's been a lot of flip flopping mm. uh, in the recent time, and like, I kind of generally tend to agree. Yeah, but you know, like I, I just hope that if this is part of a thing to like again, everyone's working on improving just like generally across the board, and it will be interesting to see what happens with NXT UK and what the response is to it. Indeed, especially when we've got a uh, what a. Uh... What appears to be uh, the very last kind of goodbye being the World's Collide show. So we'll see. Yeah. Ha- we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll see what NXT Paul happens. has in store. <laughs> like when we said before, though, when they announced the NXT Worldwide plan and they were trying to get into um, India, they were trying to they were trying to they were trying, they were trying to they were trying to make a push for Japan and they couldn't get into the market because people literally just didn't want them there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's like that picture Triple H walked into a business office in Japan and then who was in that office Keiji Muto Akira Tawe Toshiki Kawada Kabashi and Masahiro Tona let's talk Ah, <laughs> uh, so yeah that's pretty much all the kind of really like the big stories that have been going around yeah. I mean is there anything else that's kind of Join your attention. I can't, I can't think of anything else. Okay, so that is where we're going to wrap up the news for, for this week. Reardon, recommendation corner. What do you have for us this week? Oh, this is tough, guys. This is really tough. But, guys, how, how do you feel 
about watching Better Call Saul again. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, of course. Here at the Sweet Chinwag podcast, we once again reiterate that Better Call Saul is fucking amazing. Oh, it, it, get, it gets like the triple cosine. <laughs> like, I, we, I know, like, this is probably, this is like the third time we have recommended watching Better Call Saul. I don't regret it at all. Okay, but consider the following, though. The show's just sick. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, the show has now concluded with um absolutely wonderful ending i loved i loved that the, the end the last finale episode so much it's so great i've been thinking about it all this time and now it is literally you have no excuse you don't need to watch like you don't need to wait a week like i had to each time and scream <laughs> every time an episode was over. You can now watch the entirety of it on Netflix. You have no excuses. All of it, Breaking Bad, El Camino, and Better Call Saul, are all on Netflix. You can watch all of it. I know I want to like go back and watch Better Breaking Bad now. Or is and, Sam, I, and Sam, I know that you promised once Better Call Saul is over to finally sit down and watch Breaking Bad. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how busy my schedule gets. Ah, <laughs> oh, don't make me, don't make me strap you Clockwork Orange style to watch Breaking Bad, man. Don't make me do that. <laughs> I was gonna say, whatever you do, just don't scratch my flipping eyeballs. Yeah, don't, don't do that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. It's so good. I, I cannot reiterate enough. That is my recommendation. It's got to be done. Fair. Fair. I mean, if I was going to give a recommendation that's sort of different to to, to kind of te- to, to kind of satiate the the people our listeners who don't watch Breaking Bad or Pedicle Saul, I can't recommend my good friends Andos and Cherry's video on NXT enough. It is two and a half hours of them dissecting the black and gold brand of NXT to, with a fine tooth comb and going over some of the best matches of that period it's a very compelling watch very interesting watch and i agree mostly with the pair of them when it comes to their choices (laughs) i can't recommend that enough so that's a little recommendation if people have finally had enough of us three talking about better call (laughs) so maybe i should make a better call soul style t-shirt for our merch store is this yeah, our is this our route to getting sued? And Hi, I'm Reardon. Find a lawyer. Hi, I'm Reardon Goodman. Have you or a, or, or a loved one ever been exposed to genitalia? <laughs> <laughs> and with that, oh god, I realise that that is a terrible but actually quite fitting segue. Oh god, it's time to get on to the main portion of the episode. Oh, it is. Gentlemen, we are all talking about quite possibly the most iconic faction in professional wrestling history. It is the Four Horsemen. Now, as I like to usually do these with every retrospective, I like to pose a question to you first, uh, to you two chaps. This question being, what is your experience with the Four Horsemen? Honestly, my experience is only like the legend of the Four Horsemen. Mm. It's it's because it was before my time, frankly. So I only knew that you know Ric Flair was in this thing called the Four Horsemen, and it was very, very important. Hmm. Uh, oh, I'm actually my, my yeah my my I don't have a lot of memories or any real thoughts. So this is going to be a very interesting one for me. 
yeah my my kind of interaction with them was just because i even though this bears no relevance to anything i have to get the joke in there me being like oh the four horsemen like you mean like the thing that the wolverine was in <laughs> book joke gotta love it, uh, gotta love it. oh i like that i yeah yeah you know that that's a tight one um, and then basically it was through the time that we've been running this and i guess like a little bit beforehand me being there and being like oh like these people are really cool and then i would have people who are naturally older than me be like you've never watched any four horsemen matches so I was like, I guess I got to watch some Four Horsemen matches then. <laughs> like, obviously, because, like, for me, the Four Horsemen, like, I guess in, like, the original sense, because there's been a lot of versions of them, as I've come to learn, <laughs> were very much outside of my living memory. Yes. So I have had to go back and watch them. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of been a thing of, like, going back to that time period, watching matches, obviously through a very different lens to a lot of people. Yes. And kind of seeing it from that point of like, always being told like, oh, they're the best. They're like the pinnacle. They're the one you need to look up to. So that's kind of been my, that's kind of been my experience and, initial exposure so mine was um actually right at the right at the literal tail end of the format of of the like of the group in 1999 when i was watching wcw and i guess you could say my interest peaked once more once evolution became a thing in wwe which was basically triple h's way of saying hey look at me this is my full horseman <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember this thing from a long time ago? Basically, this was his. This was his NWA Jim Crockett bingo card. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which next to like make war games a thing in WWE and become big gold champion. <laughs> and so it was through Evolution that I just went back, and then just decided to kind of just watch any, any chance I could get to go back and watch Four Horsemen stuff. It was a thank goodness that they had that um, that Sky Sports around that time and like in the late to mid-aughts had that um, WWE vintage collection because they would occasionally show a lot of Four Horsemen stuff and I was very glad for that, that they would do that sort of thing because um, I got to watch the promos. I got to watch the matches and they're bloody, they were bloody good. They were bloody good. Anyway, shall I shall I start right at the very beginning, as I always like to do with these gentlemen? Mm-hmm. So, the rumblings of an entourage or a group surrounding the NWA's world Heavy- world's heavyweight champion Ric Flair during uh during the, his mid Atlantic days began as early as the nineteen seventies. Um. When he became when he became acquainted with his on-screen cousins, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, the team of Gene and Ole Anderson. Yes, in storyline in the seventies, Flair and the Andersons were actually related. NWA moments. <laughs> and through that, they became acquainted and became kind of you know running buddies, especially in that time at Mid Atlantic. Uh, after leaving. 
the crew. <clears throat> Flair would take on Black Jack Mulligan and Greg Valentine as his partners and, uh, and feud with them. He would eventually, of course, become, uh, becoming uh, NWA World Heavyweight Champion once more, reconciled with his cousins in the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, uh, and eventually end up feuding with guys like Harley Race, Bob Orton Jr., and Dick Slater. And so when Mulligan eventually retired and Valentine would end up jumping to the WWF, that was when Ric Flair decided to look for some new blood, which brings us to the original Four Horsemen in 1985. They formed with Ric Flair, Oli, and, and Oli and Oli's cousin in storyline, Arn Anderson. <laughs> now, the reason being why Arn was seen as a storyline in storyline uh, cousin is because Arn looked alarmingly a lot like Oli. <laughs> Thing is, Arn Anderson, I swear, and a lot of people will say this, Arn Anderson was born 45 years old and has never aged Correct. since. <laughs> No, that man looks basically the only difference between basically him then and him now is like he's gained a little bit of weight and his hair is grey. <laughs> Otherwise, he is exactly the same person. Exactly, like, it's in, it's insane. The and the the thing is right. You look at obviously like pictures of him then, and they're like, "Oh, here's on Anderson at like 25," and I'm like, "That man's like 52 with like three kids and a mortgage." And then you look at Brock Anderson, his son. <laughs> he is the exact same. His son, his son looks like he's in his 40s, especially when he wore a polo and slacks. But I, I, <laughs> to complete the original lineup, they sought after an up-and-coming prospect in in uh, South Southwest Championship Wrestling, a man by the name of Tully Blanchard and his valet, Baby Doll. And eventually they would come to form the original lineup of the Four Horsemen. It wasn't until a little time after this formation that they would, they would uh, recruit the services of one James J. Dillon, the financial benefactor of the group, and thus... The four horsemen were born. They would, of course, use this time as one of the monster heel factions of, of Jim Crockett promotions to take on every and any baby face and pretty much just wreak havoc and, you know, do what heel teams do. Of course, they feuded with Dusty Rhodes, ended up, which ended up in a storyline of them breaking his ankle and hand. Barry Windham... The Rock and Roll Express. They would eventually, of course, in a, in a very famous and infamous, or dare say infamous storyline, ended up breaking Ricky Morton's nose. Nikita Kolov. They would end up injuring his neck. The Road Warriors. And Magnum T.A. Of course, all of these people would eventually, to and fro, fight for the tag titles, or would usually be involved in one-on-one -on -one confrontations for Flair and his World Heavyweight Championship. Now, of course, what was so iconic about the Four Horsemen during this period is because they were the dominant faction, and they held all of the gold. Uh, with, uh, with I feel like they, it's, it's easy to hold all that gold when you break so many people's body parts. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I mean, I can't, can't hate. I can't hate the strategy. You mean you know, it's a good strategy. I hate, you know, hate the game, but you know, like you just just injure everyone, and then they have to make you champion, right? <laughs> yep. 
So it wasn't the Four Horsemen moniker wasn't actually there from the start. Um, it was actually kind of they were only kind of kind of haphazardly thrown together during a television, like a random television taping. And it wasn't until Arn Anderson um, came up with a promo during uh, during one of his uh, during one of the World Championship Wrestling tapings uh, on local television that he came up with the moniker. Um, Arn commented, the this the only time this much havoc has been wreaked by this few many of people, you need to go all the way back to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now that is debated as to whether that was the the original uh moniker was adopted then, because Dylan and Blanchard would state during a uh, a discussion panel uh, panel back in 2016 that when um when Arn said it it was actually kind of previewed two weeks prior, but it was actually that interview that they can confirm that Arn came up with the trademark four finger pose. Uh, Arn would go on. Uh, Arn would say later in an RF video shoot interview that he, Flair and Blanchard were as close as anybody could be uh, away from the ring together and made sure that, you know, that it was kind of a joint effort to come up with this sort of, uh, we've come up with this moniker. Um, with that being as close as anybody could be comes the infamous, of course, stories of them living the gimmick inside and outside of the ring. <laughs> They, of course, be lavished with lots of luxuries, the finest tailored suits, gold Rolexes. They would take private jets to shows, show up to arenas in limousines, party until it became and party until the sun came up. And basically, so basically what you're telling me is, if I start wrestling mm -hmm. and I like give myself a rich man gimmick. Yes. That people might pay stuff for me. Yes, basically. It's, it's basically the Ted DiBiase school of living the gimmick. Fellas, I've got a strategy here that I don't think anyone's ever thought of before. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> so this brings us to the next chapter of The Horseman and the ever-changing, ever revolving door of the horseman in february 1987 newcomer to world championship wrestling and the nwa lex luger <laughs> was made yeah. there we go was made lex luger moment. member of the group after he expressed his desire to become one of the horsemen the others started to leave uh, Ollie Anderson yes. out of things after he cost him and Arn the NWA Tag Team Championships at Starcade 86. Eventually, though, he was kicked out in favour of Luger that March. The fact that Ollie missed a show as well to watch his son wrestle in a, in a, in a high school tournament was used against Ollie in the split as Tully and Dylan questioned Ollie's loyalty and Blanchard called uh, called his kid a snot-nosed little brat. <laughs> Attitude era ain't got nothing on this. <laughs> There's the reality in wrestling. So Although, right, I do have to say, right, <laughs> of all the intention of the horseman, <laughs> Lex Luger is not the person that strikes my head as the kind of person that would go that would go well with them. 
<laughs> oh, trust me, after this little segment, chaps, would you like me, or would you like me at the end to go over the full member list of the four horsemen? Oh, we'll, no, we'll do it, we'll do, we'll, we'll do that at, like, at the end. Yeah, at the absolutely. end, absolutely. I need, because I need to have a, at least a deep breath, and I've got several glugs of water to do that in one go. <laughs> so during this time, in 87... They they were starting to feud hot with Dusty Rhodes, Nikita Kolov, the, and the Road Warriors with Paul Ellering. And this all culminated with the very first War Games. Which saw the team of, which saw the team of Dusty Kolov and the Road Warriors going up against the four horsemen. Of course, these were noted for being absolutely if you go back and watch them. You realise just how brutal and quite damn violent these matches became, which just basically all ended. All most of the matches ended up with all five members in the cage trying to make somebody submit via submission or by just seeing who could lose the most blood first. I was gonna say because wasn't the recurring thing with these just like it was just like oh, okay. We finish up one of these matches, okay, like, half the people involved are injured. <laughs> yeah. Funnily enough, during the very first War Games um, match, JJ Dillon actually suffered a separated shoulder from a botched Doomsday there we device. Are. <laughs> That's how oh, violent we're getting. Warriors. <laughs> oh, Road Warriors. So after that, he was Dylan was actually ended up repl was replaced by the masked uh, wrestler known as the War Machine. Of course, War Machine would later be known as the Big Boss Man. <laughs> big Boss Man. Oh, the Big Boss Man. Big Boss Man is such a that's such a like. I don't. Who came up with that? Because uh, I, really I, I believe let's, it was let's, Ray let's Trailer be... that came up with it. Yeah. I mean. I don't know whether this is necessarily the time to discuss the legacy of the big boss man in in con in like modern context. Oh yeah, um, a a prison well, like... corrections officer as a professional wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Just, just, I mean, let's not forget he also <laughs> had the Confederate flag on his sleeve. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's not sorry, go repeats itself once again. Okay. Shall we shall we move on very swiftly? Yes. yes. So later on in that during that time, during the after the bloody war games matches, Luger was kicked out of the four horsemen. First, he blamed JJ Dillon for costing him the US championship when Dillon's attempt to help Luger win the match by cheating backfired. After that, Lex, Lex didn't allow Dylan to win a bunkhouse stampede match, as the horsemen had agreed to among themselves that Dylan should never be involved, or shouldn't be involved in that sort of match. Come 1988, Luger would end up teaming with Barry Windham to feud with the horsemen. At this time, the horsemen were simply free, were, were a free piece, and thusly became the horsemen. The pair even defeated... Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard for the NWA World Tag Championships at the very first Clash of the Champions. In April of 88, Barry Windham would turn on Lex Luger during a title defense against Anderson and Blanchard, with then Windham claiming and taking Luger's spot in the uh, four it's horsemen. It's going to be one of these then. <laughs> After oh, that, 
the NWA Tag Championships, Wyndham would hand them and award them to uh, to Anderson and Blanchard. And this is where we get the, in my opinion, and for a lot of people, the best lineup of the four horsemen. Flair, Wyndham, Blanchard, Anderson, and JJ Dillon. That is a that is a who's who of, of wrestlers there. Yeah, that's, the a, pretty, that's a pretty good spread, I'll be honest. And through this lineup, this is where the Horsemen became the de facto faction of Jim Crockett Promotions in the NWA, as all all of the members held the top titles in the promotion, with Flair as World Heavyweight Champion, Barry Windham as the United States Champion, and Arn and Tully as the World Tag Team Championships. Unfortunately, though, this lineup of the faction would not last very, very long, uh, as after, I think... I about five or so months after this after this uh, incarnation of the faction formed and was on a dominating spree, in September, Arn and Tully would leave NWA to join the WWF over money and contractual um, issues. Yeah. And this forced them to drop the tag titles at the very last minute to the Midnight Express. And of course, after joining the WWF, Arn and Tully would be known as the Brain Busters and were managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan. Actually, uh, Arn and Tully weren't as buried as you think they were, as they actually became very dominant and even won the WWF Tag Team Championships. I was gonna say they definitely. I know they definitely won a tag title. I know, obviously, people say about it in like they won in the same place that they were, like NWA, WCW. Mm. But like they, I just, they still had success. Exactly. They still have quite. I think they still have matches there that are more well regarded than some of their WCW matches. Exactly. Exactly. Um, very un, very under overlooked actually run that uh, that Arn and Tully had in WWF. If you ask me, uh, I would say go. But if you ever just if you ever just had a morbid curiosity about that time, go watch them. They had some bloody good matches. I can't believe they actually had a chance to keep the NWA style of wrestling in the WWF. <laughs> it's amazing to see. Anyway, this left Flair, Wyndham, and Dylan all on their own. And they would all continue calling themselves, again, the Horsemen. And the NWA even flirted with the idea of bringing in new members. Butch Reed was signed to wrestle solo matches with Dylan as his manager. Then in February 89, Barry's brother Kendall kind of appeared to join them, but not really in a way. Like he was sort of a member but not officially like he would like he would team with barry he would even actually sometimes appear in group photos holding up the four the the four fingers but was never really a member he was kind of like there (laughs) he was tonight's special musical guest exactly (laughs) in 89 early 1989 flair and Wyndham would lose a televised tag match to gilbert and a surprise partner, the partner being Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. An enraged yeah, humiliated boy. flair immediately fired JJ Dillon, who then left to take a front office job with the WWF, whilst Flair and Wyndham dropped 
the horseman name. Now, I'm not going to go over this little bit of time because it's a really confusing time and it makes no sense whatsoever. So after JJ Dillon leaves to take a job in the office in the WWF, uh, the NWA and JCP hire the hero Matsuda. Yes, trainer of Hulk Hogan. Okay. Hero Matsuda. And they, he becomes Flair and Wyndham's manager, and the four horsemen become the newly minted Yamazaki Corporation. Why are they not just the Matsuda Corporation? <laughs> because evil Japanese corporation. Yeah, I'm, genu- I'm genuinely there of wrestling, and I'm like, you said stuff that completely makes sense, and yet I still don't believe it. So shortly after this, Barry would leave to show up and join the WWF. (laughs) And so only Flair and Hiro Matsuda were left. Oh, actually, I should say this. Michael Hayes would uh, eventually join a little bit after in a very short Because of course he would. (laughs) Of course he would. But the group would then shortly disband after Hayes would reform the Fabulous Freebirds and Matsuda would leave the promotion in May of 1989. So, it's safe to say that the, that the Horsemen would, would work at that time helped NWA in a massive way and would define the National Wrestling Alliance for the rest of that decade. The departure you would say of uh, uh, of like the the like the machine gun departures of Anderson and Blanchard and then shortly Dylan and Wyndham kind of cost the NWA quite a bit. Yeah, and it was and it's safe to say that things would never be quite as iconic as that group of peeps after that. Yeah, but if there's one thing I've learned from wrestling, it's that. Uh, wrestling companies never know when to stop being a dead horse. Yeah. Nope, nope, that is true. And so in late 1989, December, Christmas time, actually, as a matter of fact, 1989, Flair, Arn, and Ole Anderson, along with his long-standing rival, Sting, would reform the Four Horsemen. Now, a story you're going can to realise here. Talk, can I talk about this? I'm really sorry. Yes, you I'm can really absolutely, because I think you're going to go over with what I'm going to say. No. My favourite thing about this, going going back and obviously doing this in revision, and let me just say, like, for most of this, I, like, I, I, I knew who all these people were before I did this. Mm. <laughs> going back and watching it, and then seeing Flair on and Oli, and then just fucking Sting <laughs> next to them was the funniest thing to me when I was younger. Because <laughs> you have all these people that are doing like the whole like effortlessly cool, and they're kind of dressed all kind of like preppy and nice and neat with their jackets, and there's just the fucking dude with face paint. <laughs> Especially when you know, right? How long-standing at this point uh, the rivalry was with the biggest face of the company, with the biggest against the biggest heel of the company, that suddenly they would join forces because you know where that's going, and you know what? It's a history lesson that Sting. No, but it's it's happened to Sting so many times that Sting is far too trusting. But it just gives me the vibe of like when. 
people at your school have a party and then one of like the goth kids turns up and he's hanging out with like the really cool kids. Yes. It's just fucking sting in his face page, just chilling with the three of them. <laughs> so <laughs> Tully was submit was originally set to return to join the reformed horsemen, but I think it was contract con- contractual obligations and some fines in his time in the WWF prevented that from happening and WCW would eventually not not rehire him at that time. Now they started and reformed as faces, which again you may think, is that really yeah, is that really kind of the way to go with it? But at this time they were feuding with uh with another stable known as the JTEX Corporation. The reason why oh, they were called no. the JTEX Corporation or Gary Hart International, which was ran by uh, by manager Gary Hart, was simple. Uh, it was con- it, it consisted of Japanese and Texas talents. Terry Funk, great the Great Muta, Buzz Sawyer, and the Dragon Master consisted the, the JTEX Corporation. Again, you've said words that on their own I all understand, but when you put them together like that, I think you're lying to me. What, that the Terry Funk and the Great Muta once were <laughs> teammates? No, I can I can fully believe that. But when you tell me there's this table made up of Terry Funk, the Great Muta, Buzz Sawyer, and the Dragon Master, <laughs> managed by a guy called Gary Hart, <laughs> I yeah. have to be there and I have to question whether or not what you're actually saying is real. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is. Remember, we are talking about WCW in the early ni- like in late in the early nineties. I know. <laughs> this, of course, would culminate with uh, with the four horsemen actually turning on Sting and becoming heels, because of course everyone saw that happen. In hindsight, everyone saw yeah. that happening. It, it's it, what had to happen. There you go. It's done. <laughs> They kicked Sting out for for him even daring to try and challenge Ric Flair for the world title. With Ric Flair famously saying in a TV spot afterwards, Sting, you were never with me. That's a certified Sting moment right there. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And of course, after this, they would go, what this newly minted Four Horsemen would go on to feud with Lex Luger, Sting, the Steiner brothers, and of course, their Biggest, biggest rival at this time, El Gigante. Oh my god! You want to repeat that to me? Yes, <laughs> El Gigante. The more, if more people don't know what that name is, you may know him better as Giant Gonzalez. Oh my goodness! Stop trying to make El Gigante happen. You're never going to make El Gigante happen. I'm sorry. I'm trying to make. I it just, happen. I just like the idea that just like. Thing was just like forget you guys i'm off to go and be brooding <laughs> that wouldn't happen until 1996 <laughs> now nah, he was saying he was okay he was setting the stones it's, it's, it's long-term storytelling <laughs> scott steiner was just there and i was just there and was just like i don't know who you dudes are i don't care and then probably like swore at them or something and then just started <laughs> rattling off nonsense <laughs> In so, fact, actually, no. Scott Steiner is just too cool for the uh, for the Horsemen. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, come May 1990, Ole and a little kind of shifting changes in positions would happen in the Four Horsemen. Ole Anderson would retire from active competition and would become the Horsemen's manager. 
Barry Windham would actually return to WCW at this time and would come back to rejoin the Horsemen on the May 5th NWA Worldwide Wrestling taping. And who was become the new member of the Four Horsemen? One, Sid Vicious would end up refilling out the group in the May 11th NWA Power Hour. And well, this, this, is is a bold, this is a bold choice already because we already know that... All, all that's in Sid's mind is, when can I disappear to go and play softball? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. And it was this incarnation of the group that would go on to end up feuding with the dudes with attitude. See? Yeah. Sting, I was going to say, the Sting is just as bad because he likes to reform the dudes with attitude with new members every so often. <laughs> this incarnation of the team would consist of Sting, Lex Luger, the Steiner Brothers, Mr. <laughs> Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, and the Junkyard Dog. <laughs> Junkyard might, Dog, that baby! Might be, that might be one of the most based stables ever. <laughs> Sting, Lex Luger, the Steiner Brothers, JYD, and Paul Orndorff. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, man, that's that's the go-to that's attitude. That's actually hilarious. I love that so much. <laughs> Again, I have to assume that in the entire in the entire process out of all of this, that like it was just Sting, just like looking at everyone in this group, just being like, I don't know what's going on, but I know I've got this right. <laughs> my, <laughs> my corner, my corner is fine. <laughs> also, shout out JYD. Shout out JYD, JYD. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, during 1990, Sting would eventually end up capturing his very first NWA World's Heavyweight Championship from Flair. And in October of 1990, he would defend that title against Sid Vicious at Halloween Havoc. It was during this match, Sting and Vicious brawled, would, would end up brawling backstage, and a few moments later, they would end up returning to the ring. Sting, attempting to slam Sid, lost his balance and fell to the mat with Sid on top of him. This would allow Sid to get the pin and he was declared the new world's heavyweight champion. However, it was revealed that Barry Windham had inserted himself into the match in Sting gear and makeup and let Vicious pin him. That is the most <laughs> WCW booking I've ever heard. So when the real oh, also let me just let me just say that is that that entire booking there, if that was actually real, would be the most Sid way of winning a world title. <laughs> <laughs> it was restarted though when Sting showed up and let them know, hey, that ain't me, brother. The match it would restart, and Sting eventually would defeat Sid to retain the title. <laughs> So a dusty finish, basically, but not really a dusty finish. So, in 1991, Flair, Anderson, Wyndham and Sid would eventually part their own ways and the Four Horsemen would dissolve. In May of 91, Sid would leave for the WWF. Flair, of course, was unceremoniously fired from, the, from WCW in July and would end up sh showing up at the WWF in August with the world's heavyweight championship of course. which which fun fact about the big gold flair was the one that put the deposit down to have that belt made apparently it was thirty thousand dollars for that belt to be made and since wcw 
kind of didn't own that title and will and owed Flair the money for de- putting that for that down uh, payment of that title. Flair in every legal right was allowed to take that title with him after he was fired. Hence why he was sh- he showed up to the WWF with the real world's championship. Again, I I cannot express this enough. Like, this is why it is so important to make sure that you have, like, all of your image rights sorted out, like, as early as possible. (laughs) (laughs) This Because I know, like, Ric Flair was involved in a bunch of backstage stuff, but you can't just let someone who's on contract with you be like, don't worry, guys, I've got this. You just have to owe me the money. (laughs) (laughs) You're just asking yourself to get in a bunch of problems. Uh, this would end up leading to Wyndham and Luger at the Great American Bash going uh, fighting for the vacated title, which would see Luger uh, win that match, turn heel, and Barry Wyndham turning face. Arn Anderson would go on to form a tag team with Larry Zbysko called the Enforcers, which Good. would later become part of Paulie Dangerous's Dangerous Alliance, which consisted of Zbysko, Rick Rude, Bobby Eaton, Steve Austin, Arn Anderson and Medusa. What a lineup! That I love. Yes. I like. Whoa. Funny wow. enough, funny wow. enough, I was doing uh, with Joseph's video in 1992. We did. We uh, we talked a lot, and I ended up watching a lot of the Dangerous Alliance. And that is a goated stable, if you ask me. No, actually, no. That lineup's actually mad with talent. Yep, it's so damn good. And it's a crying shame. Why am I shame. never hearing about? Why am it, I never hearing about this properly? It's a crying shame that after Bill Watts came in around mid ninety two, the 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 stable just kind of fizzled, and there was no grand kind of conclusion to the stable itself. They came. Nah, let's get let's had, get let's get the let's get the dangerous alliance like revival going on right now. More people need to know about this. Exactly. Look up nineteen ninety two WCW. I speak, well, the beginning of 92, because the Dangerous Alliance were, like, the fucking stable at that time. <laughs> so, the, the Horsemen would not really show up for the longest time until May of 1993, where the Horsemen would become the Free Horsemen, officially. Uh, and was uh, containing, of course, Free members, and was around for, I think, less than six months... <laughs> So, Flair would return in 1993 to rejoin Arn, and they promised a Horseman reunion at Slamboree. Of course, this was revealed on an appearance at a Flair for the Gold that the newest member of the Free Horseman would be... Paul Roma? WWF jobber to the stars, Paul Roma? Now that choice... It's giving last minute replacement. Yeah, it really <laughs> it's, is. It's giving who could we sign on moment's notice. <laughs> so it's it's no surprise that this incarnation of the horseman is considered to be the weakest incarnation of the group. Yeah. To to to, to reference current football right now, it's giving the it's giving the same feeling as the news when it was announced that apparently Manchester United were gonna sign Marco Arnautovic. <laughs> I remember just that. like the most middle of the road person you could have picked. Yeah, I remember that. 
This was a face incarnation of the Horsemen, and their tenure would see them feud with Barry Windham and the Hollywood Blondes, the team of Steve Austin and Brian Pillman. Now, this this incarnation would not would end not because of well the of fan in, uh, of fan interaction of them being kind of meh, uh, but because of um, well. Well, because of really, really strange and downright peculiar circumstances, the group ended due to Arn Anderson's stabbing incident with Sid Vicious during a tour of England in October. Sam, 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 you can't just say Arn Anderson's stabbing incident with Sid Vicious. <laughs> well, if no one, if anyone's heard about the stabbing incident, they know that um, Sid Vicious had a penchant for scissors. Um. Uh, the least I can say, if I want to really go over the notes of this, so during a really botched uh, plan and uh, and kind of like in itinerary of a WCW tour of England in a hotel room in Blackburn, <laughs> Arn Anderson and Sid Vicious were getting on each other's nerves, and this boiled to a point where they were at the hotel bar and. Sid kind of goaded on, so I, I, I am going to kill you. No, I'm going to kill you first. And enraged both of them in their hotel rooms, Arn decided, I it was either Arn or Sid decided that they had had, had enough. Arn grabbed a pair of scissors and and marched down into um, Sid's hotel room. Um, enraged, Sid saw that Arn had a pair of scissors. Uh, Sid grabbed a chair leg and both of them wrestled with one another. And, well, Arn, uh, Sid kind of, well, Arn clobbers Sid an, a lot of times, but Sid stabbed Arn a number of times. I, I don't know the exact number, but I do know that it was double figures. Well, Believe it or uh... not... Uh, both men were hospitalised, but believe it or not, both Sid and Arn forgave each other for this incident. You know when the Undertaker's there and he's like, these damn kids these days with their video games in their locker rooms. Yeah, yeah this is the shit they avoid. <laughs> yeah, they avoid stabbing each other. You know the whole thing with Collision in Korea, that Dark Side of the Ring episode involving Hawk yeah, and Two that, That's yeah, literally that's a, shit. a brilliant case study in why things are better now for wrestlers. Yeah. They have entertainment instead, you know, drinking alcohol, taking somas, and Just passing out in their hotel room. Someone. So that is a very truncated, very kind of cliff notes version of that. If you really want to learn more you can there's a lot of videos and a, a few podcasts and documentaries like mini docs and video essays that go over it but it's yeah it's it's crazy uh of course this saw that both i think sid fired from the company as and, and aren't given uh, well a, a, a massive fine for what had happened uh what was paul roma doing well he turned on eric watts during a tag team match to join paul orndorff as the tag team of pretty wonderful nice and flair would go on to feud with then wcw world heavyweight champion big van vader we would not see the horseman return until 1995 to feud of course with the nwo 
In 95, Flair and Arn, back to being heels, were teaming with Flair's former foe Vader to torment Hogan and Randy Savage. After Vader lost to Hogan in a steel cage match at Bash of the Beach, Flair would enter the cage and land blast him. Vader would snap and attack Flair, and this is when Arn came to the rescue, and would lead to a handicap match at Clash of the Champions in which a in-between face-heel Vader defeated the team of Flair and Arn in a handicap match. I think the concept of face Vader is like... That's weird as hell. <laughs> I don't think that's really a thing in practice. Yeah. This would end up in a kind of mini feud between Flair and Arn. And on a match at Full Brawl in 1995, Arn would end up defeating Flair with the help of Brian Pillman. Flair... Completely un, completely confused at his wit's end, doesn't know what to do, turns to the one person he did not want to turn to. He turns and begs Sting to help him. <laughs> oh, it's another this. Sting moment. And though Sting did not trust Flair, he would eventually agree. Flair would end up turning on Sting at Halloween Havoc to reform the horseman with Arn and Pillman. Sting not get turned on by tag partner challenge difficulty level impossible. <laughs> uh, with 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 Flair, Arn, and Brian Pillman here to reform the Horsemen, they would acquire the, the services of one more wrestler in the roster. They would add, oh for fuck's sake, they would add Chris Benoit to the group. Uh, Again, in the con in the context of the time, this was not a bad decision. But knowing what we know now. There is nothing that can be said that will change our position on Chris Benoit. Yes. Yes. This version of the Horseman would end up feuding with Hogan, Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger. Oh, yeah. Flair would eventually bring back original valet, not the original valet, but the second valet of the group, woman, and Miss Elizabeth. Ah, WCW. <laughs> and Miss Elizabeth when she turned on Randy Savage. I, I just love how there's Miss Elizabeth and then there's woman. <laughs> like they just found they had they added this person as a valet and just went this is a literal npc yes the then known as nancy sullivan um just literally just woman also Thank can i just you, say wrestling. can i just say as well i think i know a lot of people when they bring up you know chris they don't I like a lot of people bring up Chris when it comes to the whole thing that happened. I don't think Nancy's name gets brought up nearly enough because she was an incredibly gifted and incredibly iconic valet, and her name needs to be shined shone more than his. Absolutely. Anyone that's out here that hasn't seen the the Paul Heyman thing that he did, I think it was. Uh, um, I think it was inside the ropes. Star. Inside the ropes, yeah. Like, just basically just go watch that. It's horrible that Nancy's legacy has been forgotten. Nancy had a big part to play to the wrestling world. Mm -hmm. Very influential for a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. So give, give Nancy the respect that she deserves. So a few things to just go over during this this little, this 95 incarnation of, of the Horseman. Uh, Pillman, with this, would, it would stand up starting his infamous loose cannon uh, gimmick. I would start a feud with Kevin Sullivan, which of course ended up with um with an I respect you match, which saw Brian ten seconds into the match grab the mic and say, I respect you, Booker Man <laughs> And would see him leave 
WCW in, in in, in, in honestly an inspired bit of playing The Office, leaving WCW to join ECW with the intention of eventually coming back to join WCW for some buzz, but would say, no, nah, I did this as a way to join the WWE. <laughs> <laughs> like actually like yeah. nine thousand iq yeah it's such a great bit of oh it's so great like there, there's there's playing the game and then there's whatever brian pillman figured off he was like play like wcw were playing checkers my man was playing like 5d chess <laughs> yes yeah exactly. he is seen like universes ahead for this exactly, it's incredible exactly uh the horsemen would end up teaming or joining forces briefly with the dungeon of doom as the alliance to end hulkamania which saw of course the tout the infamous tower of doom steel cage match at uncensored 96 <laughs> i'm sorry i love that I, the alliance to end hulkamania it was, they are literally called themselves the alliance to end hulkamania <laughs> <laughs> oh, of course, this would end up. Is there, is there some point in the future we could do an episode on the Dungeon of Doom? Yes. Oh, man, I want to because it's the most gonzo, batshit, insane <laughs> thing ever, and I want to talk about it in great detail. Um, this would see when they lost that match, the Horsemen would end up coming at log, becoming at loggerheads with the Dungeon of Doom. This would end up having a really weird kayfabe blurring line feud between Kevin Sullivan and Chris Benoit, which would actually see Kevin Sullivan's wife, Nancy, end up having an extramarital affair with Benoit in storyline and in real life. <laughs> yeah. Again, what, 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 what can I say? You like, know, it's weird that that's like that's a story. Like if you said that, like which one had a which rest? Like there are multiple reasons. There are multiple nickels for this happening. Yes. Like, yes. like this has happened more than twice. It's insane how often that happens. It's it's so crazy because because of that, their matches ended up becoming um, what's the word heated um, because both of them would start throwing potatoes at one another. So basically, it was just do every time they were booked in a match together. It was just a shoot. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So this version would end up, of course, kind of going, kind of splitting apart. But Flair and Arn would keep going for proceeding forward. And at the Great American Bash in June of 1996, Flair and Arn would end up being in a tag match against former football players Kevin Green and Never Man That Shit. Here comes Mongo! Hell yeah, let's go! Steve the greatest WCW wrestler. This would see, during the match, McMichael's then-wife, Deborah, being chased to the back, but would later come back with a steel briefcase, which, which she handed to Mongo. He would open it to reveal a horseman t-shirt and some money. And after thinking it over... Mongo would become the newest member of the Four Horsemen. Oh, let's go. Shout out, Mongo. We love Mongo. I don't Mongo know what anyone is only, is, is Mongo is only porn in Game of Life. Had yes. to do it. Exactly. 
Like the funny, the thing about Mongo's legacy in wrestling is that, like, while yes, it's actually it's hilarious because it's kind of bad. It's also like kind of hilarious because it's kind of good. If anyone's seen the, I love the the edit of Mongo to the "Don't try this at home" uh, voiceover is incredible because <laughs> just some of the selling. It's literally like it's literally like the wrestling version of like absurdist art. Yes. Wrestling surrealism, yes. if you will. I'll say this much: out of the two of them, Lawrence Taylor and Mongo, Mongo had the much more natural talent for professional wrestling. Didn't necessarily mean that he was good. <laughs> 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 but I will say this: I think time has has favoured Mongo greatly and has put him in a much more positive light for a lot of wrestling fans. <laughs> I think the thing is that we can appreciate, we can just appreciate it being goofy now. Exactly. I mean, the fact- like, We just look at it now and we're just like, oh, it's just some goofy-ass dude, like, wrestling. The one thing I will say is that Mongo had an iconic look when he went to the commentary desk and would always be accompanied with a chihuahua on his lap. Yes. <laughs> I mean, as you do. As one should do. <laughs> I love it. I love it so shout much. Out to the, shout out to the web. I can't remember the name of it now because they haven't been posting in a while. They might change their name, but the, the Twitter account that used to post GIFs of Mongo. Ah, uh, Mongo uh, and Friends. Uh, I can't That's remember it. the name. I think it's uh, it might be CB Giles now or Jillies, but uh, regardless, Mongo and Friends was an iconic thing. And it was a shame that it got put down because I think it might have been that Flair thought it was taking the piss out of Mongo, when in a matter of fact, it was actually yeah. paying a massive tribute to Mongo. Um, actually, shout-outs to Mongo as well, because he's been actually yeah. suffering from ALS for the longest time and is really, um, a really, uh, really very poorly at the moment. So, no, shout-outs to Mongo and uh, kick-ass, my man. You are you are you are a legend in professional wrestling. <laughs> so fast forward a little bit to the new world order. They've just been they've just been founded. We've had the outsiders and Hogan now running rough shots, and the horsemen seeing this have now decided to become baby faces and defend the honor of world championship wrestling. In September of 96, Flair and Anderson would team with their bitter rivals, Sting and Lex Luger, in a losing effort to the NWO in a War Games match at Fall Brawl. Of course, the team of NWO would consist of Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and imposter Sting. When Luger... Uh, when, uh... So Luger would be submitted to Imposter Sting's Scorpion Deathlock. This pissed off Anderson, where he would feud with Luger for the next month. But this was the match where Sting would come out to side with WCW. And eventually, of course, would leave that match saying, That proof enough for you, Luger? Huh? That proof enough for you? And no one would see Sting for a very, very long time. Of course, this would end up birthing crow sting but we've talked about that more than enough in a yeah. previous episode now two developments would come in october of 96 that would that would change the trajectory of the four horsemen the first one jeff jarrett 
coming over to WCW after his tenure from the WWF and expressed his desire to join the Four Horsemen. He immediately gained a fan in Ric Flair, and much to the chagrin of the other Horsemen, would uh, much to the chagrin of it would end up joining, sort of joining the group, eventually. But again, he'd kind of be kind of a lackey until about 97, February 97, when he would join the group. Again, the others of the, of the horsemen didn't really kind of want him there. because Well, it all started with Jarrett actually kind of having a bickering contest with Mungo over Deborah's attention. <laughs> okay. Jarrett would eventually sounds- win the US title from Dean Malenko with the help of Eddie Guerrero on the June 23rd, 97 edition of Nitro and then eventually was kicked out of the stable by Flair due to the instability of Jarrett's presence causing a, causing a much resentment among the horsemen. In a move uncharacteristic of them, however, Jarrett was allowed to literally walk away instead of being beaten down and injured, as was expected. They were just a- like, you look great. We're done here. Just like, just go. We're after, good. After that, though, Jarrett decided to take Mungo's wife and valet Deborah. But Mungo saw that and thought, you know what? Fuck you. I'm taking your US championship. <laughs> Based. <laughs> so, as you do. Nice. Now, there is a lot of debate between fans because it was such a short little kind of blip in the period of Four Horsemen, whether you should include Jarrett as a member of the Four Horsemen. Um, Because maybe, like, because he wasn't, like, officially, like, initiated or then beaten down uh, after he left, whether he should be called as a de facto member. Um, Arn says he was never a horseman. It was never like most people say he was. Fans of the group say he wasn't. It's up to your own interpretation whether Jarrett was or not. So, it was during this time uh, that the creative control of Flair and the group was that they picked their own members. Just uh, you know in terms of who they liked and who they wanted to kind of put over in the group. But during this time in 97, WCW had a much more of a lenient, a more of an extreme control over storylines. And this could have been the factor that forced them to accept a member for purposes only and not kind of by choice. So in 97, Arn Anderson had to unfortunately retire due to a lingering back and neck injury that kind of didn't fully heal and thus kind of debilitated him from wrestling this is where kurt hennig took his spot as the enforcer now if you ask me i think hennig would have thinking about it hennig's actually a kind of really good choice to take over arn anderson's enforcer role come on mr perfect and of course the history between perfect and flair during the wwf kind of writes itself um Although WCW kind of really didn't see that and decided that Hennig would turn on the Horsemen and join the NWO about a month after. Of course. Um, and this would see... you got to remember, at this point, everything serves the NWO now. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And this would see the group disband in September of 97 and all would go their separate ways. The last incarnation of the Horsemen would come in September of 1998. With Flair um, being uh, returning from a hiatus during the ring after a disagreement with then WCW president Eric Bischoff. As everyone knows, the kind of disagreement was that um, Flair wanted to watch his son Reed's amateur wrestling tournament, which, fu- which you know, fun fact, Reed won the gold medal for that. 
which is awesome to see a flair, to see a, like a younger flair flourish in amateur wrestling. But because Bischoff wanted him on the house show loop, Flair and Flair wanting to see his son's wrestling tournament because, of course, you know, Flair being on the road every day for an entire yeah. year, not being able to take part in this, he wanted to be there for his son's one of his son's most important moments. And so that choice saw him being fired and suspended by Bischoff. He That's would... such an indictment on US employment. Yeah. <laughs> he was there like, I want to go and see my child's crowning moment as they reach the pinnacle of their, like, the thing that they do as their personal interest. And they go, well, you can either not go or get fired. It's so. I mean, if you've not seen that return, this return on Nitro, it's one of the highest rated segments during the downturn of of WCW's uh, good fortunes in the ratings war. But this one was a massive spike up as we saw the return of Ric Flair and the return and reformation of the Four Horsemen. The storyline leading up to this was that Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit kept going to Arn, insisting that he should reform the Horsemen. He kept saying no. A returning J.J. Dillon, back in the front office of WCW, even made a request to Arn, uh, pleading with him to reform it. Eventually, Arn would give in, and it gave us this moment where all, me all, of, all members of the Horsemen, clad out in tuxedos, would eventually reform and announce that Ric Flair was return as the fourth member of the Horsemen, with Arn becoming the manager of the group. This, of course, saw the very famous promo, impassioned promo, of Flair coming out, Eric Bischoff interrupting, and Flair very passionately and shooting on Bischoff, saying, go on then, fire me. I dare you to fire me. <laughs> <laughs> So, this this incarnation saw Flair, Mongo, Benoit, Malenko there to come up as a face group to feud with Bischoff and the NWO. They had some wins here, they had some losses here, but it but seemed like Bischoff never really wanted to push them because he had kind of had enough of Flair being the guy or the legend that he was at that Blair time. Flair being the guy meant he couldn't spend more money on motorbikes. Exactly. Come early 99, though, the Horseman would once again turn heel, with Mongo recently having depart the rest, uh, departing the wrestling world, and they were simply down to Benoit, Malenko, Flair, and Arn as the manager. They had also had a kind of referee that was slightly biased to them, do you know who that referee was? It's kind of obvious. It's Ric Flair, and who's Ric Flair's biggest fan? As a, who's ah, yes. Charles Robinson. <laughs> there he is. Um, Fastest 40 metres in wrestling, you heard it here first. <laughs> they would indeed so endeared to Robinson that the horseman would eventually nickname him Little Nate. <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, it tracks, though. Uh, In terms but, of people that look like Ric Flair, I feel like Charles Robinson isn't a bad stretch. Indeed. Flair's personal nurse, uh, known then as Double D, but she was known then as Aisha, would act as an enforcer for the group, whilst Ric Flair's son, David Flair, yes, the, the less talented son of the Flair clan, would, rest, <laughs> would end up eventually kind of becoming an associate, but never an official member 
of the group. Anyone that's been there and has actually seen David Flair in WCW will understand what we say. <laughs> With Flair being... It is on- so confusing. It's so confusing. With Flair being the on-screen president of WCW at this time, he would eventually be in a weird storyline where he would uh, award Flair the US champion, uh, his son David the US championship and would have the horsemen uh, run in on title defences so that David could keep the championship. Uh, This would eventually, of course, stop with Benoit and Malenko finally having enough and forming the Revolution Stable uh, alongside Shane Douglas and Perry Saturn. And this would eventually fizzle out, and that would be the official end of the Four Horsemen in WCW, and indeed, the Four Horsemen as we know it. And that is where we come to the end of this. But wait, there's more! In 2022, Arn Anderson secured the copyrights to the Four Horsemen name and images, and during Jim Crockett Promotions' Ric Flair's last match event, Brock Anderson and Brian Pillman Jr. would reform to become the new Four Horsemen. I'm just like... Wow. There's got to be a time where you call a stop to it, like... Sometimes you just got to admit that yeah, we had a good run with it, but I oh, I man. despise this modern trend of like nostalgia mining. <laughs> Look, all I don't care. Is... People can be there and they can fight me over that. I think it's entirely vapid, and I think it's stopping us from creating and progressing new ideas. Basically, I mean, we, trying to we... say that Conrad buying the Jim Crockett, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions name, is 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 to blame for all of this. Dan, <laughs> as, a, as a separate as a separate side, I mean, you know what? I'm going to keep that for off the record. I mean, if you were going to do it, I guess having Brock and Brian Jr. kind of makes sense, but at the same time... No, like, I I understand it, but the bigger question is, does it need to happen? And I believe the answer is no. No. (laughs) Agreed. But hey, Pillman Truman gets to be a horseman. That's how it be. (laughs) That that is indeed true. That is indeed very, very true. So that is where we get to the end of our little retrospective. But the legacy of the Four Horsemen is still strong to this very day. When we think of wrestling stables, the one that will always come to mind from a good majority of people is the Four Horsemen. As we said there are a lot of things that would not exist, stables that would not exist if they weren't if it were not for that original group of, of men who ran roughshod and dominated the NWA. We wouldn't have evolution for a start. Like, when you think about it, we wouldn't really have NWO or DX for a start. Well, that's kind of the thing, because I think obviously when we talk about the legacy the legacy of the Four Horsemen, I think we have to talk about how they are kind of the archetypal heel stable. Yes, like they are the they have to become the basis on which you build all others off of, and I think you see elements of that in every single heel stable at this point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and yeah, that's really where I think the legacy kind of lies. Yeah, in that thing of if you're gonna build a heel stable, well, un- unless you're going to like Chikara lengths. <laughs> Where, like, you know, everything's not meant to be, like, exactly completely serious. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, like, you might as well just use the four horsemen as a base to build it. 
Exactly. Yeah. And that's come with a lot of good good factions, and that's come with a lot of bad factions. I oh, am cool. looking directly at you, Fortune 4. <laughs> Fortune 4! <laughs> We're going to change some things. <laughs> but again, though, Fortune 4 was attempt at nostalgia popping for no discernible reason whatsoever. Now, here's the thing, gentlemen. You know it's bad when you're trying to kind of uh, cash in on the iconic nature of the four horsemen, but you can't do the hand sign, so you have to do the the shocker instead. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> Did no one turn to Rick or to anyone in the create TNA creative and go, you know, doing that hand sign, that's not a good idea. That's not a good I idea. I mean, like, look, right? There's decisions, and then there's decisions in TNA Vista. <laughs> I guarantee you, no one's. They're just like, look, we just need a hand gesture, and someone was like, well, that looks cool, not realizing any of the implication of what it means. Um, although I, mean, I, again, like, I just love the thing if they had to get four in there. Yes. <laughs> And they can't just call it the Four Horsemen, so they had to find another way to in to make sure that the sense of the word four was included. So they went with fortune. <laughs> I will say this though: on paper, a team consisting of AJ Styles, Beer Money, Kazarian, and Desmond Wolf, also known as no Nigel McGuinness, actually sounds like a really good stable. <laughs> Again, by all metrics, that team should not have failed, but this was TNA. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and TNA had a knack for that. This was this was TNA that had AJ in suits that were two sizes too big for him. Oh, they had him come out to the Ric Flair robes as well. Yes. They made him become Little Nature 2.0. And let's which, remember... While, which, the... while complete, which, while entirely hilarious... And let's, let's see who they were uh, rivaling with. Oh, yeah. Hulk Hogan stable, known as Immortal. It's literally just like... <laughs> it's... Everything should have been going right, and yet everything was going awfully. Because, again, I'll always remember from that time was when fans kept demanding for Desmond Wolf and Nigel McGuinness in matches, and apparently TNA just used to have to fudge stuff all the time so the right people had them. Yep. Uh, when it came to polls of who should, you know, for the world title, everyone wanted Desmond Wolf, and that's goated, if you ask me. Yes, that's, it is. That is but that unfortunately, is some people were like, hmm, incredibly talented wrestler? Nah. No. Thing is, Kurt Angle... Who's already won the world title seven times and has already said he doesn't want to be involved? Yes. And here's, uh, the thing that makes me laugh is that going back, if you hear it, Kurt Angle was like, I don't mind because I love wrestling. <laughs> so this is the bit, gentlemen, that I've been uh, I've been dreading the most. And we did allude about do it. it. Do you do want it. me to? I guess, do you want me to in the style of we're we, having, di we didn't start the fire? No. You don't have to do it like that. I was just yeah. going to say this is another NWO moment. But I have yeah. a feeling like there's much less people. See, I was going. I was going to say I would have done it with Ric Flair, Anderson, Oh, no. Tully no, Blanchard. We don't. We don't. We don't. We don't. We don't need that. 
We don't Alrighty. need this. Just do it. All right. So, I don't want to get copyright striked over. No, that's true. So I'm over, like, that is over true. like the broad tune that we use. Yeah. We didn't quote the horseman. No, um, <laughs> so I am going to go through every single member that is OG, uh, associates, later members, managers, valets, and even a couple of little one-offs. Okay, gentlemen. Are you ready? <clears throat> I'll ever be. Let's go. Do it. Rick Flair. Arn Anderson. Ole Anderson. Tally Blanchard. Lex Luger, Barry Windham, Sting, Sid Vicious, Paul Roma, Brian Pillman, Chris Pinoir, Can't Melt Steel Beams. I'm sorry, that was terrible. <laughs> Steve Mongo McMichael, Kurt Hennig, Dean Malenko, Double J, Jeff Jarrett, War Machine, also known as the Big Boss Man, Hiro Matsuda, Kendall Windham, Butch Reed, Michael Hayes, David Flair, JJ Dillon, Baby Doll, Dark Journey, Patty Mullen, Hiro Matsuda once more, why that again? Woman, Miss Miss Elizabeth, Fifi, yes, Fifi, Ric Flair's maid during a Flair for the Gold segments. Funny enough, the person who portrayed Fifi would end up marrying Ric Flair in 2018, but less of that said about that, the better. Deborah McMichael, Bobby Heenan, Charles Robinson, Double D, Tory Wilson, Brooke Anderson, Brian Pillman Jr. And honorary members, Dusty Rhodes and Harley Race. Tory Wilson? Yes, Tory yes, Wilson. She was, she, there was a time where she was the, the manager for David Flair. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds so fake. That sounds so fake. It's one of the most WCW things. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, gentlemen... Can I, can I just say, just quickly, because you mentioned a name which I do not remember, which is Dark Journey, and that just sounds like it's racially motivated. Yeah. <laughs> that was Telly Blanchard's valet uh, before... That just, sounds uh, like a, that just sounds like a microaggression. Yes. It does. It really does. Um, I think it was it was Blanchard's valet before Baby Doll, although it could be. I was that. correct. Yeah. So, gentlemen, that is the entire history, or a little truncated retrospective of the Four Horsemen, iconic stable, peaks and troughs, many a changes. But hey, at least it isn't the bloated <laughs> bloated roster of the NWO. Yeah, yeah. At least, like, listening, I was like, at least it's not the end of you. At least we don't have to go through, like, 80 different names, but it's insane how, even still with this, there are just so many people in it that were just, like, like looking at some of them and then their, their stints inside the Four Horsemen are measured in months and not years. <laughs> I think right now it should be christened as the more than four horsemen. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm going to use my Photoshop skills You're there to make the, four, say, the more than you... four horsemen. If I start wrestling and then I'll just make like, if I start a stable called like the four squared horsemen. <laughs> so we're allowed up to 16 members. Perfect. <laughs> Will then feud with the four huge horsemen who have 64. <laughs> oh, no. 
I can't wait till we fight the pie horsemen. The pie horsemen. <laughs> well, there's three of them, and then just a de- an infinite decimal of remainder of the final person. Absolutely, it's just someone. It's just like an, it's just someone wearing like bits and pieces of everyone else's uniform. See, the pie horsemen come out during Ric Flair's last last match, and the thing is, is that the entrance will still be ongoing. Yeah, it's kind of like you know what that reminds me of. It's kind of like that. Um, oh, what's that film? It's that film Robert Rodriguez made where he said he made it, but it's not going to get released until twenty one fifteen. Oh, like what with what um, the Wu Tang Clan did with Once Upon a Time in Shaolin. Yes, <laughs> they're like it won't get re- it won't be re- released until like twenty one hundred or until someone chooses to like release it publicly. Yes. Which by then, if you think it's going to be released, there does it mean that the does that mean that they keep the the, the copyrights until it's released, or does it become public domain as soon as it gets released? Well, they they said they were like someone can buy it and release it to the public if they want to. We're not going to stop them if they mm. choose to do that. But then it fell into the hands of um, a person. Yeah, and then they decided not to. Although, as I as I be- as I believe, it's now currently in the hands of the FBI. What? Yeah, I think the, there the was guy, some... the guy that the guy that owned it got investigated for fraud. So they had to take assets. <laughs> oh my god! I, well, well, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, anyway, right? This, this is a whole separate side note to a to a whole random maths joke. <laughs> so just to finish, just to round off the ma- just to round off the maths joke, I'm going to say the four factorial horsemen. So the fourth member is multiplied by the third member, by multiplied by the second member, multiplied by the first member. <laughs> so four times three times two. So that's twenty four members. <laughs> Which, when you think about it, kind of makes sense for the four horsemen in general. <laughs> We, Basically, we if someone code. if someone wants to start like, I don't know, a wrestling promotion called like Geometry Pro or something, it's like we've got you set, we've got you set. <laughs> glorious, glorious. Well, chaps, I enjoy these retrospectives. It's always nice to see, like, give your get, like, have your reactions to certain revelations you didn't know about a certain uh, <laughs> a certain factoid or a certain fact about the group. Or a person in particular, especially the Yamazaki Corporation. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole thing. Uh, the Once Hall again, of... talking talking about wrestling's problematic history, you never. The Hall of Fame class of twenty twenty three goes to the Yamazaki Corporation. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, is Hiro Matsuda in the WWE Hall of Fame? <laughs> At this point, I do not think so. Either that, or he was had one of those legacy. Uh, inductions because if, if if he's not then i feel like they need to give him some of the recognition for hulk hogan <laughs> at the very least it wouldn't be you know if it weren't for him certainly you know certainly would be no hulkamania brother anyhow with all that done we are come to the end of the episode next week or our next i should not say next week next episode we got an old segment coming back it's been a long time coming but we're bringing great wrestlers back, everybody. Sam finally has time. Great wrestlers you never knew is coming back for a brand new volume. Who may that be? 
keep an eye on our socials because you'll find out in due course you will find out Uh, so look forward to that everybody i say i say next episode instead of next week because there is going to be a kind of a mini break in between that to kind of get everything sorted i've got a couple of other things that have kind of clashed with things so we're going to get that all figured out We'll be back in due course. But until the next episode, I have been Sam. This has been Reardon and Dan. And you've been listening to the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. We will see you, as always, on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See ya. Fortune 4. Fortune 4.